One thing that uh, you learn about a lot about as a uh, as a minister is suffering and death. Don't want to be too discouraging here, right from the outset, but it's true. If you're if you go into this type of work, uh, it's a joyful thing. Many times you're with individuals who are rejoicing at their weddings and so on and so forth. But more often than not, more often than not, you are uh, with families who are experiencing illness, trouble, or in many cases death. You're among the first to be called when there is an illness. And you are many times the very last person to say something over the deceased. The preacher is the one that says the last prayer at the graveside service and usually is with the family till the very end, till the funeral um, is over. Now, most people um, witness or experience this at certain times of their lives. And hopefully, there are long intervals between crisis, long intervals between illness, long intervals between the fact that someone that you may love um, passes away. But ministers, you know, live with the reality of someone suffering or death every single day, every, every week, every month, year after year. It just keeps going. It's part of the job. Many times have to talk to younger ministers who are starting out. And after a couple of years, they become very discouraged by this idea and they need to be encouraged that this is part of their task, part of their ministry, part of their calling to be a support, to be an encourager of individuals are going through this time. So it's no wonder that most preachers love the book of Job and the lessons that the book of Job teaches, not just about Job's character, there's always a lot of lessons about Job's character, but also about the process and the effects of suffering on individuals. There's just a lot of important material, a lot of uh, very encouraging type of uh, information in the book of Job that talks about the, the issue of suffering. Now, whether we're ministers who are in the profession of helping people deal with suffering, or we're individuals who are going through a period of pain in our lives, the book of Job has much to say about our condition. Now, before we draw a couple of lessons, which is the, you know, what I want to do, I want to give you a little bit of background about Job. Most of you are familiar with this book. Let's open to Job uh, chapter 1. Book of Job in the Old Testament. <clears throat> the book uh, just before the book of Psalms. I want to read you just a verse. Don't have time to cover the whole book. But in the first uh, chapter, verse 1, <clears throat> it says, There was a man in the land of Uz uh, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. And right in that first uh, passage, we find a person who is truly a man of God. Talks about Job a great man of God, says he was ba- blameless, means that he was mature, he was complete, you know, a spiritual man, very mature uh, spiritually. Uh, this term refers to his piety and his respect for God. It says he was upright. Uh, uprightness uh, in the Hebrew referred to the goodness and the prosperity. His life was full. You know, people say, I've lived a full life. Job had a full life, a very complete life, a good life, full of good things. It says he feared God, and that demonstrated that he was a religious person. He was spiritually mindful. He was respectful of the things of God and the people of God. And he turned away from evil, speaks to his moral principles. He wasn't a hypocrite. He didn't 
say one thing and do another. He wasn't a worldly man. Even though he was a wealthy man, he was a great man, full of good things, he was nevertheless a spiritual man. Now, if you've read the book of Job, you know that the book goes on to say concerning the strength of his family and his wealth and his land and his prestige, in the country where he dwells, the Bible says he was the greatest man in the East the greatest man of the East, one of the great men, in other words, a great man of his time, a great man among his people. Now, the writer of the book of Job explains that God allowed Satan to test Job's faith with a series of personal catastrophes. And again, we don't have time to read all the chapters, but briefly, here's some of the things that happened to Job. First of all, all of his children were killed at one time in a storm. There's been some speculation that it may have been a tornado. And I've been living in Oklahoma for 10 years. I can tell you that that's quite possible. If you're sitting in a house and a class two or three tornado comes by and uh, and knocks your house down around you, especially if it's made out of bricks and those types of things, um, the chances of you not surviving uh, are pretty great. And so uh, Job's children, all of them are killed in one in one day. And then his servants are murdered by invaders. And his animals are all stolen. And the idea of animals being stolen in those days, wealth was calculated by animals. So he was a very wealthy man. All of his herds were taken and slaughtered and, and, and stolen. So he lost all of his wealth. And if this wasn't bad enough, he was struck with a disease that covered his body from head to toe with oozing sores, wet sores that were just filled with infection, continually oozing. And then finally, you know, just to add insult to injury, his wife leaves him. His wife rejects him in the end. She can't take it anymore. You know, she says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? You know, and and rejects his suffering. Now, after this physical and psychological and financial nightmare, three of his friends come with the intention of comforting him. But as we read the story of his three friends trying to comfort him, instead of comforting him, they end up accusing him of being responsible for his own suffering because perhaps there's a secret sin in his life. And they spend most of the time arguing with him and trying to convince him that he should just cough up the secret sin and all of these bad things would go away. Doesn't it seem that our lives are like Job's life at times? You get the call from the police station that tells you that your child has been arrested. Do you ever get a call like that? Hello, Mr. or Miss So-and-so. This is Officer Jones from Station 42. We have your son here. We have your daughter here, and so on and so forth. Or worse still, you get a call telling you that your child has been injured. I'd rather get a call from the police about an injury because you know when they show up at your door and knock on your door, it's even worse. That ever happened to you? Or maybe the doctor tells you, you know what, we've done the biopsy, we've looked at the x-rays, and it is a tumor, and it is cancer. Does that ever happen to you? Or perhaps you fall behind in your bill. There's not enough money to pay all the things that are demanding payment at a particular time. And someone is going to pull the plug on something, whether they're going to take your car or turn off your... Hey, I've been in the car with people in the church racing to 
the electric company to put some cash money down so that the power won't be turned off. How about the partner that you trusted lies to you? Could be your marriage partner, could be your partner in business. That's a pretty painful thing. Your business partner lies to you, cheats you. Or the company that you've given 10, 20, 30 years of your life to just decides all of a sudden that it would be more profitable for shareholders if they got rid of you. And they do. Or a friend, you find out, has been saying evil things about you, things that are not true. Or maybe things that are true, but you wish you would have kept to themselves. <laughs> or maybe you just fail. You fail. Period. You blow it. You mess up. Or perhaps your age begins to remind you that you're not as strong, as beautiful, as virile, as able, as sharp as you used to be. And it's nice to make jokes about it, but then sometimes the reminder is not funny. Because you need to remember that thing, and you can't for the life of you remember it. And you need to do this. You need to be strong. You need to have energy to get through this. And by 2.30 in the afternoon, you haven't got it anymore. And you say to yourself, I used to go, 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 go. Or maybe the one that you love died. Maybe that happened. These things that I've mentioned and a thousand more stories tell of the broken lives ripped apart by disease and cruelty and violence and death. And when all of these things happen, people normally cry out. They either cry it out or they're saying it in their soul. Why me, God? Why now? Why this? I believe that although we might not resemble Job in culture and in personality, in our suffering, we are exactly the same because pain never changes. Pain is the same for everybody, irregardless of the culture or the time. Because this is a fact of life, Job's book and lessons about suffering ring as true today as they did in those days. And that's why I like the book of Job. It's so current. When I look at Job, and I look at what he went through, I see a couple of things. I see, first of all, that suffering seems unfair. I mean, the most repeated statement that I have heard people say when they go through a period of suffering is that it's unfair. Not fair. He was so young. It's not fair. I gave everything. It's not fair. I tried so hard. It's not fair. I trusted. It's not fair. Job expressed this idea throughout his lament, claiming that God wasn't fair in his dealing with him. Every time you read about Job's response, he's always saying, listen, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve this. Now, usually we see suffering as unfair in several ways. For example, we, we think the timing is wrong. 
You know, suffering catches us off guard and unprepared, or we're on the verge of enjoying a perceived reward. How many people, they've worked their whole lives, they've saved their money, they've really been good about this, they've denied themselves, and they've worked hard, and they've scratched together a little bit of money, and they've paid off the house, and the car, and the kids are gone, and the college bills are paid, and finally, we're going to take the trip, we're going to enjoy the retirement, and she dies. My sister-in-law, 59 years old. Kids are gone, house is paid off, business is paid off, parents are taken care of. 59 years old. She's at work, she has a headache, she sits down. Two days later, she's dead from a stroke. 59, never sick a day in her life. Didn't smoke, didn't abuse her body in any way, thin as a rail. Right on the verge of the reward. Not fair. New grandbabies just arrived. Young grandma, 59. Lots of years to look forward to those babies growing up and young enough and healthy enough to go out and play and take them to wherever, Disneyland or the park, you know. It's not fair. Sometimes, like Job, it's a series of things that just happen one thing after another. Have you ever seen that? You know, the, 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 you, you lose a leg, your house burns down, you lose your job, your dog dies. You know, one thing after another. It just And people say, well, that's just not fair. It shouldn't happen like that. We should just have one crisis at a time, one bad thing. But to have three bad things? I knew a guy who had MS. And when he found out the MS, you know, he couldn't fight it, so on and so forth, and he and they finally they put him in a wheelchair, and then, you know, he just more and more fell apart. His wife left him. She just said, you know, I can't do this. I don't want to be married to a guy like that. I want babies. I want a future. She just divorced him. Is that fair? Bad enough he's sick without the person he relied on. He would have done it for her. Not fair. It seems unfair sometimes because of the proportion of suffering versus the amount of good that the person has done. That's another way that it seems unfair, you know? Why, all these bad things happening to this person who's so good, done so much good for everybody else? You know the old saying, the good die young? Certainly the sheer amount of tragedies in Job's life seemed out of proportion with his good life and his, his pure character. I mean, it wasn't fair. Here's this good guy. All these bad things happening to him. It's not fair. All of these. Too, mu- too much bad for the good. You know, suffering is painful regardless of the amount you experience. But to say that it is fair or unfair is actually to make the mistake that Job's friends made. They thought that what happened to you in this life was the complete act of judgment that God performed for you depending on how you lived. You understand what I'm saying? They thought God was going to judge you for whatever you did in your life here on earth. He was going to judge you. So whatever you got, you got because of what you did here. And you've got it here on earth. 
Later on in the book, Job learns what Jesus later revealed, that what happens in this life is only part of what eventually happens to us. All people will be judged and punished and rewarded at the end of time when Jesus returns for what they've done here, big or little. Our blessings, our sufferings must always be weighed against the final judgment where God will comfort those who suffered and afflict those who disbelieved and disobeyed. That's the comforting idea from this idea of fair and unfair. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes the following. He says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. You know, the thing to keep in mind is that the suffering here will be outweighed by the blessings there. The pleasures here, Paul says, for unbelievers and disobedient ones, will seem awfully short-lived when the suffering there begins because of judgment. And so there are some thoughts about this idea of fair and unfair. Another thing that I've learned from Job is this. Suffering is temporary. When I say this, I don't just mean temporary because you know, it'll be over when we get to heaven. We always say that. Yeah, well, when you get to heaven. That's not very comforting when you're laying in the hospital bed. You know, when you get to heaven, this will be all over. You know, it's not what I want to hear. I mean, I learned from the book of Job that suffering will be temporary here. Sometimes when we're in the dark tunnel of depression and pain, we begin to believe that we've always been there and our lives will always be this way. One of the great dangers in teen suicide. Teenagers haven't lived very long. So they're not used to the ups and downs of life. Good times, bad times. Good times, bad times. You know, you get to be 30, 40, 50, 60, you kind of begin to know that life is up and down and up and down. That's how life goes, right, John? And so teenagers, they haven't, they haven't lived that very long. Not their fault, they're just teenagers. They haven't lived very long. So when they get into a down pattern, psychologists tell us, they have no frame of reference to understand that things go up and down and up and down. And so they begin to believe that it'll always be down. Their life will always be like that. And many of them take their lives because of that. Because of that uh, lack of understanding about life in, life in general. Job understood that suffering was based in the present. And he didn't uh, represent his entire life with suffering. He knew that his whole life wasn't suffering, just the life he had at the moment. He understood that the past had been good. He says in Job 29, verse 1, Oh, that I were as in months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me. So he realized that, yeah, I'm suffering today and it's terrible, but there was a time when I had good times. 
And he also understood that the future had promised as well. He says in Job 19, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. You wonder where that verse comes from in the song. It comes from the book of Job. I know that my Redeemer lives, yet from my flesh I shall see God. From my flesh I shall see God. The hope of seeing God after death. Today, you know, we think, well, sure, we know that. You know, God's promised us that, eternal life, blah, blah, blah. But for a man during the time of Job to have that hope was almost unheard of. Because that idea of eternal life or conscious life after death had not yet been revealed fully. So that was extreme hope on the part of Job. So while we go through it, suffering seems eternal. It seems like it's the only thing we've ever known. But a quick review of our past usually reveals that there's been some good back there. And in the future, although yet unknown, usually God will give us a mixture, at least a mixture of good and bad. We have to have confidence that we will see some good in the future. I I learned that from the book of Job. The past is not that bad, and there's always hope for the future. Another thing I learned from the suffering in Job is, is this. Remember I said people always ask him, why, why, why? I've learned that it's not why, it's who. In other words, the question to ask is not why, the question to ask is who. We tend to ask why we suffer, why me, why now, why this? Sometimes there are answers, but most times these are not satisfying answers. People spend a lifetime trying to figure out why. The longest part of the book of Job describes the debate between Job's friends and Job, trying to answer the question, why have these terrible things happened to this supposedly good man? His friends say it's because of sin. Job says he doesn't really know, but he sure feels it's unfair because he doesn't know why. In the end of the book of Job, God reveals to Job that it isn't about why, It's about who. In the end, Job learns that his faith, regardless of the intensity of suffering, is justified. I'm going to repeat that. Job learns that his faith, regardless of his suffering, doesn't matter how great his suffering is, he learns that his faith was justified. It was worth keeping the faith. That's what he learned about suffering. It was worth keeping the faith. It didn't matter who caused it. It didn't matter why it happened. It didn't matter how long it happened. None of those things mattered in the end. In the end, the the only thing that mattered was that he kept his faith alive. That's what mattered. In other words... God is worthy of our faith no matter what we suffer to preserve it. No matter how bad it is here, it will be worth it there. That's the lesson of Job. That's the lesson of Job for here on earth. No matter how great our suffering, our faith is worth it. God is worth it. 
Job recognizes God's glory in the end of the book and his power. And in the end, he repents of the fact that he may have felt that his suffering was unwarranted. When Job clearly sees who was the object of his faith, it puts the suffering that he experienced into perspective, and he was sorry that he complained. Put his hand. I'm sorry I opened my mouth. Have you ever done that? You ever done that? Whine and complain and whine and complain and then, you know, I don't know if it's going to be any good or not. You know, and then all of a sudden, whatever it is, happens and you go, oh, that was delightful. I'm oh, I sure I'm sorry I complained. Sure I'm sorry that I, you know, moaned about it. And that's just for earthly things. Imagine how we'll feel when we come face to face with God. Put your hand over your mouth and say, I shouldn't have complained. I shouldn't have felt sorry for myself. I shouldn't have whined about how hard it all was. Suffering's greatest benefit is that more than any other experience in life, it has the ability to draw us nearer to God. And that new closeness to God is always worth the pain. In the end, the suffering of death will be eclipsed by the joy of life with God. That's what we believe. The story of Job provides us with timeless lessons on dealing with and understanding the common experience of suffering. It teaches us, as I said, when looking at suffering, always weigh the good of a lifetime versus the bad and realize there is always more good than bad. And especially if you're a Christian, there is absolutely always more good than bad. Also, remember that it may seem like an eternity because there is pain. But when measured against eternity, our suffering is really not for very long. The months you spend in the hospital, the few years you spent grieving, are not all that long when put into comparison of eternity. Usually, our suffering does not last very long, even when measured against our life here on earth, never mind measured against eternity. And suffering doesn't mean that God is far away. Actually, it usually means that he is closer than ever if we only look for the who instead of the why. See, when people are suffering, the thing that they want is they want to get rid of the suffering. All the prayers that we get are about getting rid of the suffering. All the requests are about shortening the suffering time, taking away the pain, removing the obstacle. They're all about those things. And that's okay. That's part of it. But in your own private, personal prayers, in your own time with the Lord at home, in your own private, intimate time with God, seek less to remove the pain and the duration and seek more to draw close to Him. That may not take away the pain, but it will give you an insight as to the reward that God is preparing for you.
David said, you, meaning God, you are the portion of my cup. You, he said, are my reward. Not the end of pain, not that things go well, not that I be wealthy or win over my enemies, but you, God, you, having you close to me, this is the reward that you give me if I would only but ask. Let's, let's be a little more spiritual, shall we? In our prayers, in our approach to our, the bumps and bruises of life, and draw closer to God. Are you suffering this evening? There is relief in sight. If your suffering is spiritual, if it's anguish and fear and guilt for sin, then we do have a remedy for that, and one that acts very quickly. Come and confess Christ and be baptized in his name, and those sins and the guilt and the fear associated with them will be gone. If your suffering is physical, as I say, then even tonight our elders are present to pray with you, to encourage you, to help you, to counsel you, so that you may be made well again. James chapter 5, verse 13 to 15 tells us to seek out the elders of the church for prayer. That's why our elders are here uh, at every service, ready. It's not a tradition. It's not a Church of Christ tradition. It's a biblical mandate that they have to be accessible to you uh, on a regular basis, to pray for you always that you might uh, receive the blessing of their prayer. After Job found out the who instead of the why, the Bible says that God doubled all of the blessings that he had previously enjoyed. There is sunshine after the rain. There is joy after the tears. There is a blessing after the trial for the one who finds the Lord in the fires of suffering. Won't you come and seek him now as we stand and as we sing our song of encouragement? Our song of encouragement. Our song of encouragement. Our song of encouragement.